0: Alan scales I'm a marine biologist and a writer
1: I'm Shay Rhodes I'm a journalist and filmmaker
0: and we're back for a second season of Earth unscrewed yes
1: sadly our return means that we haven't yet managed to unscrew the planet.
0: In fact our beautiful planet is still very much at risk. But
1: we do come armed with hope in the form of new sustainable projects and environmental pioneers that could fix the problems.
0: And hopefully unscrew the planet.
1: Hello and welcome to Earth Unscrewed. Helen, today we're going to be diving into your chosen specialist subject.
0: Yes, we're going to take a broad look at the oceans, from the plastic ending up on our plates to new nature reserves at sea. And as a marine biologist, I'm obviously extremely passionate about this subject and this part of our blue, beautiful planet. And I guess for me, it all really started off when I was a kid on beachside holidays. And all I really wanted to do was have my head stuck in the water, seeing what was down beneath the waves. But for me, I really fell in love with the oceans when I started scuba diving and I really got to be in the sea and seeing creatures for the first time. And I will never forget the first dive. It was four degrees centigrade, which if you like to imagine the temperature of a glass of water with ice in it, about that temperature, in a wetsuit. And I was about to give up on the whole thing because it seemed suddenly like a very bad idea when I saw my first wild fish swimming through the water in front of me. And I just had this sense of being in an aquarium, but the wall had fallen away. I could follow that fish if perhaps I wasn't quite so clumsy. And I did get better (laughs) at diving after that. And genuinely, I was just hooked from that moment. I'd forgotten about the fact I couldn't feel my feet or my hands anymore because it was so cold. And I was just mesmerised. And basically, since then, I've just spent as much of my time as I can underwater. So that's what we're going to be looking at this week. But you don't have to take it from me. Have a listen to this.
2: If our ocean was a woman and went for an annual checkup, she would get a, a pretty dire prognosis. She would learn that she had severe osteoporosis, and this is a result of carbon dioxide and acidification, which I'll go into in a second. She would learn that she had. Significant lung disease, probably, you know, emphysema or cancer as a result of all the pollutants that she had been breathing in for so many years and that her kidneys were failing because of more of the plastic pollutants that she was trying to clean out of her system that were still stuck in there. She would be having hot flushes because of the heat that the ocean is absorbing and really she would not be very resilient to disease at all. And so what does that all mean in reality? Well, if we think that every second breath that we take comes from the ocean, and maybe the folks who are listening as I'm talking can take a deep breath, let it out and take that second deep breath, you begin to realize just how important the ocean is to all of us. It holds 80% of all life on Earth, It is the biggest carbon sink on the planet. It's absorbed almost 30% of the CO2 from our carbon emissions and more than 90% of the heat from those emissions. So it's estimated that if the ocean had not absorbed that amount of heat, it would be over 30 degrees Celsius warmer on land than it is today. So the ocean has been this amazing... Sink capturing the carbon dioxide, the heat from that carbon dioxide. It's also been receiving a whole lot of pollutants and runoff from agriculture on land, chemicals and pesticides. And then we have the plastic problem, which, you know, we've got more than about 8 million tons of plastic entering the sea every year. And at that rate, we really face a future with more plastic in the ocean than fish by 2050. And you couple that with coastal development and overfishing at a really horrendous scale so that you know 90% of our big fish, the tunas, the sharks, the marlins, are gone. And this amazing system, which is really essential to our climate, to our weather, to our food security, to our beings, is in trouble.
1: Well, that was depressing, wasn't it? Because I'm, I'm almost the opposite of you. I'm the person who went to the beach a bit as a kid, found it a bit salty, <laughs> and that was it. So I've spent most of my life thinking of the ocean as a place that's over there. But listening to Karen there, you start to understand just how dangerous that attitude has been, because all of my waste is going into it, and I'm completely unaware.
0: Well, you're not the only one there. I mean, this is the age-old problem with the oceans. It is. It's all out of sight and out of mind. Mm. You look at the, in most places, the blue surface waters, and it looks the same. Nothing changes. I'm sure now we're seeing the plastic pollution is the visual side that we're getting to see these changes, but everything else is kind of hidden away. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and that's it. We, We treat the oceans at once as a kind of endless store cupboard that's just going to keep on feeding us and at the same time as a bottomless pit for all of our junk. Yeah, let just speak
1: well, sometimes. You know,
0: and how, those two things together, you feel like even that, surely we should think about how those <laughs> two things... doesn't make sense.
1: Yeah, put all my waste in there and get <laughs> exactly. my food out of there.
0: Exactly. Mm. The voice you heard at the top of the show was Karen Sack and she's really incredible. She's the president and CEO of Ocean Unite, a non-profit organisation that was set up to promote and nurture impactful voices in ocean conservation. Now Karen's personal passion for the oceans is clearly contagious and she's going to be guiding us through the rest of the episode.
2: Why am I personally interested in this? Well, I actually grew up in a landlocked city, Johannesburg in South Africa, and grew up under apartheid and uh, was privileged enough to benefit from everything that white South Africans received under apartheid, but became aware of the inequities and the horror of apartheid as I went to university in the late 1980s and began to campaign against discrimination and racism. And when later on I started working on environment and trade issues, which became something that I was passionate about, I realized that the way that the ocean was managed, the way it was governed, and the openness and inequity in the ocean system was something that just gelled with everything that I had thought before. Essentially, there were big companies from northern countries raping and pillaging ocean resources without concern for the people at the receiving end or the animals and ecosystems involved. And that led to a 25-year career and passion of working on ocean conservation. If we didn't intervene in the destruction of our oceans, what would happen? Well, I think we would still be able to trade over a dead ocean. We would still be able to travel over a dead ocean, but that's really not what the ocean means for us and our futures. And I think we're beginning to see some of the harm that is being caused by our lack of interest and investment in a healthy ocean. So the heating and expanding of seawater is impacting with weather patterns and we're seeing stronger storms uh, that are beginning to hit our coasts. What we call ocean risk, these ocean risks are rising. We are seeing sea levels rise and inundate coasts And for small islands and coastal areas, get into the freshwater systems with salt water, and that's contaminating groundwater and also having implications on the food that's being grown. That's going to mean displacement of communities and peoples as the weather changes, as the coastlines change, and as these extreme storm events become more frequent and stronger. And we have to remember, you know, 100 of the biggest cities on our planet are built along coastlines. So this is potentially going to implicate our way of life, whether we're in a small community or a large community. It is going to impact food security. We've got about 200 million people dependent on the ocean for their primary source of protein. This is a true potential national and global security issue. And the fact that it's at the bottom of everyone's agenda is something that we need to wake up to. The ocean is much bigger than all of us. It covers 70% of the surface of our planet, and its systems really determine so much of everything we do. So we've got to get to work as quickly as possible to restore ocean health. Otherwise, we are going to have to face the consequences of the ocean coming back to bite us for all the stuff we've thrown at it uh, for so many generations.
1: You know, what really rings true with me is when she talks about uh, the effect on people of the oceans, people who live by the sea and so on. And that's what I've seen a lot. I'm reminded a few years ago, I was in Sierra Leone for various reasons. I ended up in a casino and I was chatting to one of the guys who works there. And he used to be a fisherman, but he'd had to stop fishing because there were so many of these huge Chinese factory ships kind of hoovering up fish from the bottom of the ocean that there wasn't enough for local fishermen to catch. He's now working in a casino and he sells chips on a regular basis to fishermen from those Chinese ships who've got a week of shore leave or a few days and are now gambling in the casinos. That's something that's almost gone unnoticed because people in Sierra Leone still have fish. And that's something that you come across all over the coast of West Africa, Senegal. It's a country where like three or four of their major national dishes are fish-based. People eat fish like two or three times a week. And you speak to people there and they are all acutely aware of the effect of Chinese fishing ships off their coast. They are aware because of the availability of fish, the price of fish, and the fact that the things they want to eat are no longer available. And that has a huge effect.
0: Yeah, and I, and I guess I've met various other people whose livelihoods are just Utterly, like, entwined with the oceans. I mean, I've met people who live on the oceans, the Bajau Laut in Malaysia. Mm. They live at sea. Similar people in Madagascar, the Vesu, who part of the year at least are just sailing around, living on tiny little bits of sandy islands, which are kind of just half a metre above the water, to follow trades and things like sea cucumbers and sharks mm. and all those sorts of things. So for them, like, life just is the ocean. There's just no pulling those two apart and then you kind of jump from that to us here or in America or in Europe or, or in a in a country where for us seafood is a thing, obviously mm-hmm. it's a big part of our many people's lives, but it's there's this disconnect between all these stories we're hearing about overfishing and what we get in restaurants and in supermarkets mm-hmm. and it's still there and the prices aren't really necessarily mm-hmm. going up and the availability isn't going down. There's still shelves and shelves of tuna and all these other things are there. So must maybe this is just kind of disconnecting our minds. Not only can we not see hmm. the oceans and the, the, the changes that are taking place, but in our daily lives, it's not really having such a big effect either.
1: Well, that's depressing, isn't it? Yep. <laughs> is there any good news at all?
0: Yeah, it's very easy to fall into that pit of despair, especially when it comes to ocean conservation. But we do have bright hope spots and things to be positive about. And Karen and her team have been working with scientists, influencers, and policymakers all around the world to push for a new ambitious global conservation target for the oceans, which they've called 30 by 30. So
2: the question is really how do we? rebuild the health of our ocean how do we help it become more resilient to change how do we help it adapt to the changes that we know are coming and at ocean unite we are working with a number of groups around the world on the push to protect highly at least 30 percent of the ocean by 2030 now what does that mean Scientists around the world, uh, marine biologists, marine ecologists, have looked at what needs to happen in the ocean to rebuild ocean life. They've come up with this figure of protecting at least 30%. It really means creating national parks at sea. So just like on land, we have national parks where wildlife and wild systems are protected. We can't go in there and hunt. We can't go in and, you know, shoot all the lions. We really can go in there and take pictures and experience what is happening on land in those beautiful wild places, and then we can leave. And the logic extends into the sea. It's really important that we protect these areas because the science has shown that in as little as 10 years, you can see an over 400% increase in the biomass in those areas, the, the weight of species, and over 100% increase in the diversity of those species. The beautiful thing about the ocean is that there are no borders, there are no walls, there are no fences. And so where you have a protected area... A lot of the life can actually swim out into the surrounding area. We call that the spillover effect and repopulate the areas around it. And there's even some amazing science that's coming in to show that some of the fish species actually know where these safe havens and sanctuaries are in the water where they exist and they go back there. 2020 is an incredibly important year for our ocean and our planet. It's the year in which, in October, countries will come together um, at the Convention on Biological Diversity Conference of the Parties, which will be held in China, and they're going to decide on the 2030 biodiversity targets on land and at sea. So there is a big push internationally to get countries to support that 30 by 30 goal that goal of highly protecting at least 30 percent of the ocean by 2030. What we're seeing is that around the world countries are beginning to move in the direction of protecting 30 percent of their waters. We've seen the United Kingdom protect huge areas around its overseas territories. The Seychelles in the Indian Ocean has protected and is en route to protecting 30% of their waters. In Chile, they are at over 40% of their waters protected. But we need more impetus and we need more action. Uh, The ocean is huge and there are lots of areas where the waters are governed internationally. So most of the ocean is called the high seas. These are international waters beyond the jurisdiction of any country. And it's in those areas where we need collaboration. There's an international body called the Commission on the Conservation of Antarctic Marine Living Resources. It's a bit of a mouthful. But the key thing is that it's a, a group of... 24 countries in the European Union, they have the ability to establish very large protected areas down there. There are proposals on the table from Australia, from France, the European Union, Argentina and Chile. We need to see countries adopt those proposals in 2020 so we can begin to build on those and move forward. There's so much more work to do we know that the benefits of these protected areas cross boundaries. They are benefits for countries and beyond, and we need to work together to get this job done.
1: One really positive thing is that I feel like if we've got 30% of the ocean protected, policing it's going to be very difficult. But once people start to see the benefits, then countries will be more motivated to police these areas, to make sure that no one's fishing in them. Um, I'm reminded of uh, the area off Somalia. When piracy increased, suddenly every country with a navy was sending ships there because it was in all of our interests, because we all recognise that trade through that channel is very important. When we start to recognise that the only way to get fish out of the ocean is to protect certain areas, you'll suddenly get all the navies in those areas checking every single fishing boat and making sure that they're doing the right thing. Hopefully, we're getting there.
0: So, talking about us all being involved in this together, global targets like 30 by 30 are really exciting. Um, They're pushing whole nations to take action... And something I find a lot, actually, when I'm talking to people about the oceans and about ocean conservation, I always get people coming and saying to me, "Okay, so what can we do? How can I help? What can I do to help? So we've asked Karen for her thoughts on how we can all do our bit to help unscrew the blue parts of our planet.
2: If I could think of five top things that people could do to help restore the health of our ocean. Number one, reduce your carbon footprint use renewables see how you can shift to renewable energy in your daily life absolutely thing number one number two if you are thinking about eating fish look at where it comes from particularly wild caught fish There are amazing cards that can now be found in most countries that talk about the type of fish that you can find at a supermarket or at a restaurant and you can figure out from there what is okay to eat and what should not be included on the menu. And when you find those things that shouldn't be included on the menu, say something to the fishmonger or the restaurant owner about why they shouldn't be serving that fish. The third thing is... Absolutely think about your plastic use and try and go single-use plastic free. Stop using single-use plastic drinking bottles and use reusable bottles and think about the footprint you're leaving behind on that. The fourth thing that you can do is also think about the rest of the food that you consume in terms of its farming footprint that it's leaving behind and uh, the pesticides and chemicals that are used and try and move to more organic or locally grown food. And finally, when you do get to the coast and you think about going on a holiday um, somewhere and enjoying the ocean, please think about the place you're going to and make sure that it is built in a more sustainable way That isn't destroying the areas where it's built on. And choose carefully and mindfully about where you go and what you do once you get
0: there. I love that final point she makes, actually. I think it really brings me back around to why I passionate about the oceans is about what's in there and i think and it links into your perspective which is which is the people and and all of the benefits that we have from the oceans but yeah we all ultimately if you do go to the oceans and you do go to the coasts you're there to see this beautiful place and mm. we need to look after that bring it into our lives more and more and uh you know i i want to get your head in the ocean sometime and show yeah. you you know i'd, I'd <laughs> love
1: i'd love to be, to be able to do that with you Well, thanks for listening to Earth Unscrewed.
0: If you've enjoyed listening to the themes of this episode...
1: We've included some links in the description.
0: Huge thanks to Karen Sack for all of her incredible insights into the ocean. Please do check out everything that Karen and her team at Ocean Unite are up to. Go along and have a look at their website at oceanunite.org.
1: To follow the series, don't forget to subscribe.
0: And please do remember to rate and review us. It really helps us to get these incredible stories out there.
1: Until next time, I'm Shay Rhodes.
0: And I'm Helen Scales. Thanks for listening. Bye.